By saying this movie isn't a real cowboy movie, Sam Elliott played right into its hands. Today I'm talking about the power of the dog. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am talking about uh, Jane Campion's recent Oscar winner um, for Best Director, The Power of the Dog, which is a Netflix release and kind of a, a different kind of Western in that it deals with a lot of Western themes, but also takes place in a more modern era. So without further ado, let's get started. Thus far, my analysis of modern westerns has focused on remakes or reimaginings of existing Western properties, which makes sense from a marketing standpoint. Westerns aren't exactly a hot genre, so what better way to get the adults who grew up with the Lone Ranger into the theater than by referencing names they remember? And as we've discussed in our pieces on True Grit and The Magnificent Seven, it also means that the audience and critics have a natural point of comparison for your grittier or more grounded take on the material. But today we're going in a different direction to address, oddly, one of the most controversial westerns in recent memory, The Power of the Dog. Based on the Thomas Savage novel of the same name, the film takes place in 1925 Montana, where the gruff Phil Burbank and his brother George meet a meek innkeeper, Rose, and her quiet son, Gordon. While Phil is quick to put Rose down, George takes to Rose and marries her, which in turn kicks off a not-so-subtle effort from Phil to break down Rose mentally. There's a lot of interesting ideas at play in this movie, about westerns, and in particular the American vision of cowboys in the Old West about masculinity, about human nature, and beyond all of which has the visual trappings and visual and auditory trappings of a psychological thriller, because this is what happens when you ask Johnny Greenwood to do the score. The acting and direction are great throughout the film, with the camera work and subtle acting choices making us feel the tension in the room, or with each within each circumstance without anyone necessarily speaking to each other. The casting choices are phenomenal, both because the actors embody their character type and are able to pull off the subtleties the role requires. For instance, Benedict Cumberbatch's natural statuesque appearance is always imposing and makes it very easy to see and hear him as a brute. But he's also got enough range and pathos to make more tender moments like his personal time remembering his mentor. This is also a movie that requires a buttload of spoilers to talk about, so spoiler warning. Let's start with the main turn. The key element that turns this movie from a straightforward psychological drama with a western backdrop is the reveal of Phil's sexuality. Though never stated outright, Phil's interaction with a man's handkerchief and a stash of nude images of men make it very clear. Phil is a gay man. It's also implied that he believes Rose's son Peter is gay, and this is why he both attacks the boy mercilessly in mixed company and decides to take him under his wing privately. While this fits very nicely into the movie's commentary on toxic masculinity in that, hey, it's bad and <laughs> men should show their emotions sometimes, it's also a refutation of traditional westerns and western heroes. Externally, Phil is everything a movie cowboy should be. He's crass, highly capable of doing physical labor like cattle driving, physically intimidating, and imposes his will on almost every situation. He is exactly who John Wayne played in over half of his movies. But as the film constantly shows us, most of this is a smokescreen to hide his vulnerabilities and his sexuality. He asserts his manhood on other men and anywhere he sees weakness to prove he's as badass as his reputation. In essence, Phil the Cowboy is a costume that he puts on to fit into a world that wouldn't accept a gay man. 
Not only that, but his mentor showed him that the way of the cowboy was also his lover. All of which pretty clearly upends the idea of the solitary straight as an, as an arrow and traditional masculine conservative image that commentators have been referencing for years. When they say a time when men were men, they're referring to men who acted like Phil, does publicly. To which the movie says, well, those men weren't as traditionally manly as you thought. Because not only is Phil a talented musician and petty, he's also a gay man who talks about and embraces beauty all around him. He's capable of more. But the traditional archetype has made him a monster. And that was enough to piss off a number of people, including a man known for playing traditional cowboys, Sam Elliott. While Sam Elliott has never made much noise outside of being a reliable mustache to put in a cowboy hat, in an interview with Mark Maron, which, what is it with movie people saying the dumbest shit on his podcast, he said that he didn't think the power of the dog was good because it didn't portray quote-unquote real cowboys, which is as hand-wringing and defensive as Phil's character would be to challenges to his masculinity. Symbolically, here's an Old West guy saying that the West didn't include men like Phil when it absolutely did. And by proxy, we get a clear message that people don't want the myth of the American movie cowboy to die. Which brings us to the death of the American cowboy. One of the most more fascinating backdrops of the power of the dog is the time period. More often than not, westerns take place in and around the 1800s. It's in the sweet spot where much of the land west of the Mississippi was still being settled, there weren't 50 states, and the US military is either fighting confederates or attacking native peoples. It also means that the tech and transportation are limited as well, which means we're talking horses and railways for transportation, and the most anyone is going to have in terms of weapons and tech are early electric lanterns, though probably not, six-shooter revolvers, and terrifying approaches to medicine. Let's just hack stuff off. But The Power of the Dog takes place in 1925, well beyond the American West's mythic heyday. George even owns a car, and Phil hates it. He wants to keep living the cowboy life that he grew up with and get to see and appreciate all of the natural beauty cavil driving allows him. Part of his reasoning for wanting to get rid of Rose is that George is getting more cosmopolitan and less earthy and cowboy-like than Phil would prefer. Thing is, Phil's not entirely off base. This is the era when industrialization was in overdrive and the disconnect between people and the land grew larger perhaps than it had been in centuries. There's a lot of beauty that was destroyed in this era, and Phil's right to see it as a bad thing. The problem is that it is... The problem is that isn't what Phil tries to show or defend. Instead, he wages a mental war on his brother's wife to prove that he's a real cowboy, that his way of life is better. It's so needlessly cruel, especially when the best avenue for passing on his more naturalistic worldview is via Rose's son, Gordon. And while Gordon seems more interested in the technical aspects of nature, he clearly appreciates it and seems to see things the way Phil does. But that bond or passing of the torch can never be completed, because Phil's assault on Rose is too effective, and Gordon decides to poison Phil to save her life. For Phil, hanging on to the myth of the American cowboy and his vision of masculinity prevented him from connecting with someone and passing on his values. values. And if that's not a solid metaphor for the time we're in now, I don't know what is. There are plenty of things that can make people uncomfortable about a tech-obsessed world that seems more complicated every day and more overrun by capitalism run amok. And it's a mistake to say that this is because our society is more accepting or allowing men like Phil to, leave op to live openly, because that vision never existed, and trying to maintain it hurts everyone.
This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.